Well, I got to tell you, it's uh, it's an absolute privilege to be able to share God's word with you. I, something that uh, gets me really excited, and I love being with you. And so, uh, so thank you for the privilege today. Um, if you would open your Bibles up to Matthew chapter ten, we're going to keep going in Matthew this morning, looking at verses one through four. Now, normally, I would like to have your help with the reading, which you just do so well at. Um, but these verses, they're a little bit choppy because we're going to be looking at the, the disciples, the list of the disciples, and so it might be a little hard to read together on those. So, so I'm going to go ahead and read those to you, um, and you can follow along um, as, you, as you look at the screen. This is Matthew chapter 10, 1 through 4. And, G- and he, Jesus, called him his twelve disciples, and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the twelve apostles are these. First, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Let's pray before we get into it. Lord, what, again, what a privilege it is to get into your word, and thank you for giving us your word that we can hang on to and learn about you and share with each other. And as has been prayed already this morning, I pray that you'd move with power amongst us today, that your Holy Spirit would open our hearts and minds and strengthen us uh, as we go out into the world. I pray that you'd lead us um, with everything that you'll give us here this morning, Lord, by your Spirit, and uh, change us as we go forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, before we get into chapter 10, I wanted to take a really quick look back at kind of where we've been in Matthew. I don't know about you, but it helps me out to occasionally go back and say, okay, where have we been to this point? So if you look back to chapter 3, Jesus comes onto the scene and he's requesting to be baptized by John the Baptist. You know, and John the Baptist says, hey, I need to be baptized by you and you're coming to me. And Jesus says, it's okay, we need to do this to fulfill our righteousness. And as Jesus comes up out of the water, the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove, we're told. And the Father announces, this is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. So a really neat moment there with Father, Son, and Spirit all coming together in one place. Then Jesus is led into the desert to be tempted by Satan, actually led by the Spirit to do that. And as Satan continues to try to tempt him, what does Jesus do? He responds with God's word, right, and powerfully overcomes Satan and tells him to scram. Chapter 4, Jesus begins to preach to the people. He says, repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. So keep that in mind because we're going to come back to that today in chapter 10. His fame continuing to grow. Um, word about him is spreading as he's teaching in the synagogues and as he's healing diseases. And as the crowds begin to gather, he gives us the Sermon on the Mount in chapters 5 through 7. And the crowds are amazed at him because he's teaching with authority, not like the teachers of the law. We're then told in chapters 8 and 9 about the power and authority that he has, basically over everything. 
as he's healing everybody, he's casting out demons, and he calms storms. He proves his authority and his power over nature, the spiritual realm, and our own bodies and all of creation. He also tells two men who look to follow him, he says, you're going to have to be willing to give up anything to follow me. This is going to be hard. It's not going to be a cakewalk. So up to this point, Jesus has been doing all the work. He's been doing all the teaching, all the preaching, all the healing. And that brings us to what we learned this last week. Matthew says the crowds are really gathering around Jesus. And Jesus had compassion on them. He looked at them and loved them and was concerned for them. They were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. You know, J.D. told us that term, harassed and helpless, can also be phrased torn and thrown down. So it's a pretty aggressive term. These people were hurt and confused. So Jesus then tells his disciples to pray earnestly for laborers to be sent out into the mission field. And so now we come to chapter 10 this morning, where we'll be moving into Jesus' second discourse, which discourse is basically just a a long teaching, and the first one being the Sermon on the Mount in chapters 5 through 7. This second discourse is going to be a little bit different in tone. He's giving the disciples a mission briefing. He's sending them out on a mission to go preach the gospel. And the gospel at this point, as he's sending them right now to the lost sheep of Israel at first, he's saying, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Verse 1, it says, And he called to him his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. So Jesus is now empowering the twelve disciples to go out and do what he's doing, healing, teaching, sharing, and it's no small thing. This tremendous, miraculous power for 12 ordinary men. So the, the question arises, why? Why is he doing this? For what purpose? And we're going to see the answer as we look ahead to verse 7. They are to go and heal and cast out demons to underscore the message, to emphasize the message. And that message is the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The king's here with you now. So, in some respects, this kind of parallels in chapter 9 when we read about the paralytic. Jesus, the paralytic is brought to Jesus, and everyone is looking to Jesus to heal him, but Jesus, what does he say first? He says, your sins are forgiven, my son. And everybody's kind of like, okay, I wasn't expecting that. And some of them are even questioning what he's saying. But then to prove that he had the power to forgive sins, Jesus showed his miraculous power physically, by healing the man, telling him to rise and go home. And so in a sense, that's kind of what we're seeing here with the disciples. They're going to be healing and casting out demons, one, to show the love of God, but two, to also provide physical proof that the kingdom of heaven is now among them. The king is here. So at this point, we're looking at a significant shift in Jesus' relationship with his disciples. To this point, they'd only been watching, watching, listening, um, learning doctrine, learning what to do. But now they're getting, I guess, a promotion, so to speak. They're going to go from being a disciple to an, impo- to an apostle. They're going to go from a follower 
to an ambassador. Now, you may have also noticed a certain irony between what we learned last week and in the commission the disciples are now going to receive. To close out chapter 9, Jesus tells the disciples to pray that he would send laborers to go out into the harvest, right? Now Jesus comes back to them and he says, and I'm kind of paraphrasing here, hey guys, you know how I asked you to pray to have laborers sent out into the field? And they're like, yeah. And Jesus says, hey, you've got an answer. And like, great, who? Well, you. You're going to go. And that's much like us, isn't it, when we have a great idea? Maybe we should think about being the ones who do it first. So for the 12, this marks the promotion from disciple to apostle. And as we get into this list of the 12 in verses 2 to 4, notice that Matthew now calls them apostles for the first time in verse 2. So what's the difference between a disciple and an apostle? Disciple is very simple. It's just a learner, a follower, one who learns doctrine. And so now we see when we go from disciple to apostle, there's added responsibility here. They're now going to be messengers as apostles, one who's sent on a mission. They're an ambassador. That's the meaning of the word apostle. And so just a few requirements to be an apostle, biblically speaking, and you can read about this in Acts 1 and Mark 3. They had to be an eyewitness of the resurrection and directly commissioned by the Lord Jesus. So those are two of the uh, requirements to be considered an apostle in Scripture. So who are these guys? In verses 2 to 4, we read, The names of the twelve apostles, I'll shorten this, Simon, called Peter, Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, James, Thaddeus, Simon, and Judas Iscariot. So now that football's in full swing, we're going to do a two-minute drill on who all these guys are now. So we're going to move pretty quick through this. Peter, we all know Peter and love him. He's a fisherman whose original name was Simon, and Jesus renames him Peter. He's the leader of the group. He's kind of, kind of the alpha dog of the group. He's the one that's speaking first, acting first. Uh, whether wise or not, he's acting first and speaking first. He was the spokesman so to speak. His time with Jesus was obviously filled with incredible highs and also incredible lows. It's almost kind of like when you get to heaven, I, I don't know, I kind of want to give Peter a hug. Like after his time on earth, it's like, man, what a wild ride you went on here with the Lord. There's <laughs> a lot of ups and downs. Then we have Andrew, who's a fisherman also, and Peter's brother. They're partners in business, fishing together. Then we have another set of brothers who were fishermen, James and John. They were sons of Zebedee, which is interesting because Zebedee is mentioned quite often in Scripture along with them. So he probably was a man of some importance within the community. He might have had some sort of prominent position that he would always be mentioned along with those two. James was one of Jesus' inner circle of three disciples. And then there's John, the self-titled disciple whom Jesus loved. Another one of Jesus' inner circle. Then we have Philip. He was from Bethsaida. That was where Andrew and Peter were from also. And Philip was the one who went and told Bartholomew, who's also known as Nathaniel, to come and see the one that Moses and the prophets had spoken of. 
So Philip's already in belief here. So then Bartholomew, or Nathaniel as he's referred to in John, he goes with him. But he first laughs at Philip because he says, can anything good come out of Nazareth where Jesus is coming from? But as soon as he sees Jesus and Jesus tells him, I saw you under the fig tree before we met, Nathaniel immediately believes. He says, Rabbi, you are the son of God. It's amazing. Then we have Thomas. Now, he must have been a twin because he's referred to as the twin. Thomas gets a bad rap for doubting Jesus' resurrection, as we all know, and we understand that. But keep in mind, when Jesus went back to Judea to raise Lazarus from the dead, Jesus at that time would have been in grave danger going back there. The disciples even said, hey, you're going to be stoned if you go back there. But it was Thomas who said, let us go so that we may die with him. Thomas said that. So Thomas did have loyalty. So we got to give him a little bit of credit. Then we have Matthew, the tax collector, in the service of Rome. Obviously, with all other Jews around him, he would not have been well-liked, most likely. Then we have the other James. He's the son of Alphaeus. In Mark chapter 15, he's mentioned as James the Younger. That's how the ESV translates it. Um, that word younger is also translated in many other versions, lesser or little. So it looks like there's some debate about which one is really implied here. So the case is that this James, he would have been younger and or smaller than the other James. So just a fun fact about him. Thaddeus, he's also known as Judas, the son of James. And in the Gospel of John, He's referred to as Jesus, not Iscariot, to be clear about him. Then we have Simon the Zealot. He's a political revolutionary against Rome. Zealots were ready and willing to use deadly force if their mission called for it. They were also known for carrying daggers with them at all times. So these guys were ready to go, and they had a mission. So that's the, the disciples as individuals, but here's a few tidbits about the group as a whole. It's been said that really the only noteworthy thing about these guys is that there's really nothing noteworthy about them. I know that's kind of a contradiction, but you know what I mean, right? They're just regular guys. They're all most likely Galilean Jews, except Judas Iscariot. And Iscariot is kind of a surname, uh, kind of like a last name that means inhabitant of Kerioth. So he was probably the only one that wasn't from Galilee. We know there's several fishermen. There's a tax collector, a zealot, and some may have been tradesmen or craftsmen. We also know Jesus calls Matthew a tax collector. This is an interesting dynamic here. Jesus calls this tax collector who's in the service of Rome collecting money from the Jews. And then we have Simon the Zealot, on the other hand, who's a political revolutionary against Rome. And now these two are coming into the same group. They're probably going to butt heads, right? This, this could get ugly. So it's like, Jesus, what are you doing? But he knew what he was doing. It's kind of like taking, oh, for lack of a better analogy, taking one of George Washington's soldiers, and in modern day terms, putting him together like with an IRS agent or something, you know, it's probably, probably not going to go real well, at least at the start. 
Now also with traditional rabbi and disciple relationships at this time, normally the disciple would go to the rabbi and seek them out and want to follow the rabbi. So it would almost be kind of like an application process. And then the disciple or the rabbi would kind of put his glasses down and look him over and say, you know, see whether he's fit for to follow him or not. But not so with Jesus, right? Jesus calls out the disciples and says to them, follow me. This was a statement of belief in these men of what Jesus could eventually do through them, not because of their own greatness or any great um, qualities they possessed, but the Lord saw what he could do through them. We're told in the book of John, if you remember, Jesus tells them, you did not choose me, but I chose you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last We also see through the Gospels, these guys are not perfect. They are definitely not perfect. And so we naturally find a connection with them because we're not perfect, right? It's like in Luke 9 when a Samaritan village did not receive Jesus. James and John, these guys are something else. They say, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? I mean, listen to these guys. Saying that to the Lord, it's amazing. But Jesus turned and rebuked them. So the nickname Jesus gave them, Sons of Thunder, James and John, very appropriate. In Luke 22, the disciples, I mean, get a load of these guys. They're arguing about who's the greatest among them. I mean, seriously. You know, it's kind of like when I was 10 on my baseball team, like, okay, which one of us is the best player on the team, you know? I mean, 10-year-olds talk about this stuff. Although I know 70 and 80-year-old men, too, that kind of talk about this stuff, too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they say, yeah, back in 65, if I hadn't broken my leg, I would have led the county in rushing, you know, all this sort of stuff. I could probably still throw a football over them mountains over there. <laughs> a couple of you got that. <laughs> in Mark 8... Peter rejects the prophecy Jesus gives of himself that he'll be handed over to be killed and rise again in three days. Peter tried to rebuke him for that, and it didn't go well. Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. You don't have in mind the things of God. Part of Peter's wild ride. So we could go on and on about this, um, looking at these deficiencies in these disciples. We also see they poke fun at each other. John, after receiving the report of the empty tomb, he talks about how he and Peter were running to the tomb, and he has to get in that little jab for Peter that says he outran Peter to the tomb, if you remember that. So they kind of poke fun at each other and were competitive. So all this to say, we're just like them, and they're just like us. These were real men, real flaws, following the real Lord Jesus Christ. And Charles Spurgeon, as only he can, kind of underscores this regarding the church today. He says, if I had never joined a church till I had found one that was perfect, I should never have joined one at all. And the moment I did join it, if I had found one, I should have spoiled it, for it would not have been a perfect church after I'd become a member of it. Right? Very applicable to what we're talking about today. So that brings us to our third point. 
the disciples needed to be taught and empowered by the Lord Jesus to go fulfill their mission. And we today need to be taught and empowered by the Lord Jesus to go fulfill our mission. So why did Jesus choose these guys? I mean, why them? Why this ordinary group? Why does he choose us? We're prideful, selfish, immoral, weak need. But he chooses us to go do his work. Paul helps us a little bit with this in 2 Corinthians. This is chapter 12, verses 7 through 10. And he's speaking of the thorn in his flesh that God has allowed to stay with him. But the point is still applicable for us. He says, three times, I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, here's the point, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest on me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong, as the Lord Jesus works through him. So why did Jesus choose the disciples? Why does he choose us to spread the gospel? I believe in large part specifically because the disciples were weak, and specifically because we're weak. The Lord Jesus will get all the glory as it becomes evident as we work that he's doing the work through us as he works through the disciples and through us now. I was listening to a radio program recently on American Family Radio. This program's called uh, Exploring the Word. And there's a couple of really good hosts there. One of them is Alex McFarland. He's associated with uh, the Billy Graham Institute, um, great Bible teacher, a traveling apologist. And he really said something um, a week or two ago that's just really stuck with me. And he was detailing um, a time early on in his ministry when he was just, he just had all this gusto and like desire to go serve the Lord and, you know, bear fruit for him. And he was working 70, 80 hours a week, he said, because he just, just wanted to get after it and like really go and achieve, which is great. That's fine. But he noticed the trend over the first few years as he's working all that much, he would see these random times where the Lord in five minutes would do things and pull things together that he couldn't explain, that he couldn't do in 80 hours a week. And so as he noticed that, he started to pray. He, he said, Lord, okay, I've, I've had enough of this. Like, obviously, he was still going to work hard. But he said, Lord, I, I've had enough of trying to do this myself. He said, I've seen what Alex can do. I'm ready to fully see what you can do through me and through this ministry. And so I'm looking forward with me and my family to start sharing that prayer. Lord, we know what we can do. I know what Josh can do, and it ain't much. So I need you to work through me and my family. Remember, Jesus told his disciples in John 15, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. We have to have the Lord working through us. And as J.D. mentioned last week, God could easily do all of this by himself. 
Like, like, what's the point with all this? I mean, he could appear to everyone in a vision tonight if he wanted to and say, hey, I'm God, I'm here, follow me. So why doesn't he do that? By and large, he desires to spread his gospel message through us in relationship with us as he walks us hand in hand. His pattern is to work with us in relationship, teaching, showing, correcting, and sending. So what an astounding truth that the Lord desires to work through us, those of us who are weak. He desires to work through us in relationship. He looks at us, amazingly, these disciples, <laughs> these, I don't know, for lack of a better word, these clowns, sort of, and then us, and he, he looks at us and he says, yes, I want you. I want you. God's continued to display this loving pattern throughout all of history. Several of our small groups are looking at Genesis right now, and it's so important that we go back to Genesis, especially 1 through 11, right now at this time that we're in, to realize God's loving, good order that he gave us in all of creation. So think back to the creation in Genesis. God creates paradise. He creates man and woman in his image. And then he gives them a commission. He says, I commission you to take care of what I've made, giving you a purpose to enjoy it, to tend to it, to build it. And God walks with them, we're told. He was with them. Think of Abraham, who at the time in Genesis chapter 12 was still called Abram. God said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God commissioned Abram. I've got a visitor up here. God commissioned Abram to pick up and go to a new land. And the amazing thing was is that... (laughs) The amazing thing is is that Abram didn't even know where he was going. He didn't know where he was going. The Lord just told him to go. The Lord says, I'll show you the land where I'm going to take you. So God leads Abram in relationship as they go. He's going with him. You might think of Moses. God commissioned him to go to Pharaoh and demand the release of the Israelites from the Egyptians. Now Moses, kind of like we might, already has several objections to this. He says, what if they don't listen to me? Lord, I'm not eloquent. Please have someone else speak for me. Now, God, we know, was not real pleased with that answer, but he still graciously gave Aaron to Moses to be his mouthpiece. God was gracious to him. And this passage in Exodus 4.15, this is wonderful. Check this out. This is God speaking to Moses. He says, You shall speak to him, meaning Aaron, and put the words in his mouth, and I will be your mouth, and with his mouth, and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. So God promised to go with them and empower them for the mission that was at hand both Moses and Aaron. You might think about Joshua, 
who God commissioned to lead the Israelites into the promised land. He said to Joshua, just as I was with Moses, so I'll be with you. I won't leave you or forsake you. I will be with you. So be strong and courageous. And what about Jeremiah the prophet? When God commissioned him to be a prophet to the nations. And I was looking at this this morning before I share it. We have a, we have a precious daughter turning 13 today. And I thought about her as I read this. And, and so I want her to hear that and her sisters and all of you young people. This passage is really, really wonderful. So this would be one to memorize. He says to Jeremiah, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. So God's at work in the womb, even when we can't see it. And God knows us before we're even there. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. Jeremiah said, I'm only a youth. What am I going to say? God replies, don't say that. Don't say I'm only a youth. For to all who, whom I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. So God promised to go with Jeremiah and empower him for the mission. We see King David said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He shepherds me. And he continues on in Psalm 23. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake, for his glory. So we could go on and on with more examples like this. Leading up to the disciples' commission here in Matthew 10. The point is God desires to walk it with us in relationship as we do his work as we help build his kingdom. And as we just stated, this has been God's intention from the beginning. When he created the earth, Adam and Eve were to, to take care of it, and he walked with them as they did. They were to care for the earth and be fruitful. So now God is building his heavenly kingdom, and the Lord is walking with the disciples and strengthening his disciples for their part in the mission. They are now to go and be fruitful too for his heavenly kingdom, to bring healing, to cast out demons, to proclaim the kingdom of heaven is here. The king of heaven is here. But before the mission begins for the disciples, remember in chapter 9 what Jesus had them do. He had them praying for the crowds, for the people, for laborers to be sent out. And Jesus tells them not just to pray, but to pray earnestly. That phrase, pray earnestly, has a, has a very urgent tone to it in the original language. A very pressing need, immediate, to pray with fervor. So not only is their prayer heard, which they're part of the answer for that, for laborers to go out, I truly believe the Lord wanted to be working on their own hearts before they got sent out to give them a heart of service and love for the people they were going to go minister to. Remember, Jesus said they were harassed and helpless, this crowd, like sheep without a shepherd. And Jesus had compassion on them. So I believe Jesus is trying to create that compassionate heart in these disciples to go and reach those people, to share the gospel. And how many times have you found that in your own walk with the Lord when you're praying for somebody? What happens to your heart as you pray for them? 
becomes very soft and tender towards that person, doesn't it? And you find yourself caring more and more about their situation as God works on your heart as you pray. You ultimately feel like you need to act in the situation and not just pray as the Lord moves your heart. How are you doing? How can I help you? What do you need? And so now for us, God gives us this mission as his modern-day followers that we need to be in prayer about. Lord, send workers out into Montgomery County, Park County, whatever county you may be from, and change my heart and use me in the process. This is the great commission we've been given in Matthew 28. After Jesus' resurrection, just before his ascension, he commissions the disciples further and ultimately the whole of the church which is us now. And Jesus came and said to him, this is Matthew chapter 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's comforting, isn't it? Jesus says that all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So as we we take this commission wherever we go, right? Whether it's home, with our spouse and our children, with our coworkers, the grocery store, the ball field, wherever we go, we're always working out the great commission. And so what a great opportunity, as Brad mentioned this morning, we have coming up to do this at the Harvest Festival. Just as Jesus had his disciples pray for laborers, we also need to be praying for laborers to be sent out and to work through us and soften the hearts of the people of the community. Remember, Jesus had compassion on the crowds, and I believe he wants us to have compassion on our community too as we work with them. And we know the need's great here. I think we all know that. How many individuals and families are there out that just seem hopeless and kind of aimless as they're going through life? So what a great opportunity to share the hope and gospel on October 28th with people who need it. We'll get to rub shoulders with them. We're going to give them an opportunity to see what real, true joy and hope looks like. It looks like Christ in us because that's what it is. This is what we have to offer these precious people of our community. We have the message that this life is not all that there is. We've been talking about that with the youth group too. The struggles that you may be going through, this isn't all there is. God's at work in your life. You just need to trust him and follow him. This life is just a teeny tiny little sliver of the eternity that we're a part of. It's not always going to be that way. So we need to give them the message of hope. That God, through his son Jesus, has opened the door to that eternal life for us. These people need to know Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. They need to know that our sin has separated us from God. They need to be aware of that. They need to know that they're lost first. And they need to know that God himself came in the flesh Jesus Christ, to take our punishment and our wrath with him to the cross and pay for it there. But they also need to know the story doesn't end there. Death couldn't hold Jesus. We sang about that this morning. 
the God-man. Death couldn't hold him. He conquered death and rose again. And now we can be united with him forever. We can be united to the Lord Jesus in his eternal life, in his resurrection. But there is a response that's needed. Both we, the church, and the lost can benefit from Romans 10, 9 through 17. Paul says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that's a message that we can take with us to Harvest Festival. Amen. Another message for us as he continues on in 14 is our part in this. How then will they call on him who they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him of who they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But they have not obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he's heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So just as J.D. said last week, we need to be speaking the word into people's lives. And as we close here, the wonderful thing about the commission that the Lord gives us here in Matthew 28, just as God was with Adam and Eve, as he was with Abraham, Moses, Joshua, Jeremiah, David, all of these figures, Jesus says in the commission, I am with you always to the end of the age. So he's going to be with us as we go. By the power of his spirit within us, he goes with us to strengthen, lead us, empower us to make us more like himself and to bear fruit for his kingdom, fruit that's going to last for all of eternity. Be encouraged by the faithfulness of the Lord this morning. Just as he commissioned his disciples to go to the lost sheep of Israel and strengthen them to do that work, the Lord commissions us to go and make disciples and he's faithful to powerfully and lovingly strengthen us for the work that he's given us to do. He's good. He's real good. So let's pray. Lord, we love you, and we give you praise. And again, thank you for a beautiful day and this time to meet together as your people. I pray that you'd, Lord, strengthen our hearts this morning whatever your truth is this morning that you'd sink that deep into our hearts and whatever is was of me that you'd just take that away so lord we ask for your blessing your guidance on us and that you'd strengthen us as we go on your mission for us this week in jesus name amen